Welcome. I'm Jessica Tejan, and this is the Evolving to Exceptional podcast, where we talk about reaching peak performance in our workplaces, homes, and communities so that we can live our best life possible, an exceptional life. Welcome back to our Evolving to Exceptional listeners to this week's episode of the Evolving to Exceptional podcast. This week, we have another fantastic guest with us, Lisa Wayland. Lisa is the Vice President of People and Culture at Delhi Star Corporation. She has a really interesting career where she's been through a lot of really interesting experiences as she has developed her passion for people, which is really apparent. You'll get to hear a lot of her examples and the things that she's encountered and the things that she's passionate about in today's episode. I want to start, though, Lisa, by giving you a chance to give a little bit more of an introduction to yourself, to how you got to where you are and why it is that you do what you do, what it is that that lights you up and brings you passion and energy in this world and in in the, the type of work that you do every day. Yeah, absolutely. Jessica, thanks so much for having me. Uh, I love, love, love talking about my favorite subject, which is people and the workplace. And for me, I started my career and my journey. I always, like many of us in HR, kind of accidentally stumbled into HR, was a a business leader and operations leader, sales leader, a marketing leader, and just always had this deep connection for people and people experiences and how we uplift that in the workplace and within our teams and how we can really propel people forward through some of that work. And so I found myself in my first HR role and really loved being able to help shape the business and work with amazing leaders to help them with that work in their teams. And so I've been doing HR now for about 15, 16 years and have had such a great opportunity to work with some really great people, really great companies in a wide variety of industries from nonprofit to tech startup to family owned and big company, everything in between. So I feel like all of my experiences have really led me to this moment and have really fueled my continued passion for not just people, but the experiences that people go through and how that shapes their future experiences. So I just love to work with leaders on ways we can impact that and impact others positively. So what in your own life or in your own experiences has been really impactful to you? Or have you seen be a a really challenging experience or an experience that really helps to shape people and leaders and their development and their growth? So many things, so many learnings in my own life. I, I think that as people, as individuals, I've never been, I've never loved the idea of work-life balance or this idea that you check your personal life at the door when you walk into work because we're human beings and all of our past experiences for good, better, or bad or worse, make up who we are and how we show up with those around us. And so rather than hide those, I think it's an opportunity and a chance to celebrate that and to celebrate what we've learned and how it has shaped us and where we go from there. For me personally, uh, this idea of experiences and cultivating really meaningful relationships in the workplace really spurred from a situation where I was offboarded. 
And it was a, not a fun situation to go through, not something I, uh, you know, really experienced before. And so it was really that kind of critical moment as an HR leader, as, a, as an executive team member, where I had been the one offboarding folks and to experience that on my own end and to experience just how the system worked and how in the past I maybe was part of that system was a really eye-opening experience. And so it really has shaped everything in my career since. It has really instilled in me this deep-rooted care for people and for uh, how we create these experiences within organizations. And, and not only how we create these experiences, but why they matter so much. As leaders, as people leaders, I think sometimes it can be really easy to focus on all the things with our roles we have to do day to make the company better, to make our teams better. And sometimes we lose sight of the people that are entrusted in our care. We lose sight of the impact as a leader that we have on someone's day-to-day -day life, on their overall happiness, on how they show up at home and how they show up in their communities. As people leaders, we, we play a huge role into that. And so I think that having that experience on my own end, both on both sides of the table, really helped me continue to, to embed that even deeper into the framework of how I want to be treated at work and how I want others, more importantly, to be treated at work. I think it's so interesting uh, to think about that, especially for HR professionals. Often, because we're HR professionals, because we're the ones that are responsible for the hiring and the firing, the letting people go, the offboarding of people, I think it can be a, an experience that many HR people may never have. They may never actually have that experience. And it is a really transformational experience. It's one of those instances that really shape your understanding of what it means to experience that process and what it means to go through it. We can't really have good perspective until we've experienced it ourselves. The closest we can get is to hear someone else's story. And so as you're sharing your story, I think it's so powerful. And I'm curious, as you were going through that experience, what were some of the surprises or the challenging elements of the experience that really, that you weren't anticipating, that you weren't uh, necessarily expecting to be something you would experience if you went through this type of process? Absolutely. I think that for me personally, it was completely out of the blue. And I know within HR world and in business, we're trained early on, whether that's in, in business school, your MBA program, HR trainings and webinars and things, that you're always there to mitigate risk. That, that's what you're taught, that you're, you, people are, are a liability and you're always there to try to figure out a way to, to not get sued. And so you put a lot of things in motion and you create these really in-depth processes all with the intention of not getting sued. <laughs> and I think we disguise that behind this idea or notion of we're protecting the company. And by doing that, we completely remove the human component from this process. And we make it such a cold experience that in, in my mind really does nothing more but to 
gives somebody even more of a feeling of unjust and unfairness happening. And I think to me that the surprise really was the most unsettling part, not being on any type of performance, having any performance conversations negatively. Coming back, I was freshly back from maternity leave. So I had just uh, been back about three weeks in this mm-hmm. instance. And prior to going out on maternity leave, had been presented an offer to advance in the company upon my return. So to me, it was just this complete like shock of the whole thing that was really hard. And I would say how it happened was the biggest surprise because I had that day I had gone to lunch and noticed that noticed that some meetings in the morning were getting canceled off my calendar and some things just felt weird. Being a mom freshly back from maternity leave, I thought, okay, this is like post-hormonal stuff. I'm making things up in my head and everything is fine. And I I remember it. I was sitting in a drive-thru lane waiting to get a coffee for lunch. And I just thought, I just had this moment where I thought, I'm going to text my boss and just ask how, hey, just want to make sure everything's good. And so I sent that text off and received a text back where he let me know that my position was over. And so I think that as we as leaders are are thinking about on the back end, how do we do something like this? But especially when it's an employee that has been an employee for a while or is a key employee in the company, we, we tend to put the energy and focus on, let's just get it over with. Let's minimize risk and let's make this as comfortable for us as we can because it's hard on us, the business or the leader having to deliver this message. And we, we lose sight of what it, the experience is for the person who is going through it. And really, that should be where the focus, the whole focus is on. In companies, we, we do a lot of time. We spend a lot of energy and time when we're hiring around making sure that we have these really robust onboarding programs and these really strong connections to our mission and our, our values. But then when we're about to ask someone to leave, Yeah, when someone decides on their own that they want to leave, it's like all of that goes out the window and that person no longer, we no longer feel like we need to represent those values or we need to take care of that person in a meaningful way. I think long answer to the question, but really just that shock and awe. And I think the delivery of the message, that was the most challenging part in my situation. I think it's interesting having just reflecting back on and I've done way more terminations than I would like to have done in my career and reflecting back on them. I don't know that I've ever terminated someone who wasn't shocked to some extent, who wasn't surprised that it had come to that even when we thought we'd done a really good job of leading up to with conversations and performance improvement plans and everything else, it still almost always comes as a shock, which makes me think that any time there's a termination, that's probably going to be the case, that there's probably going to be a degree of shock that it's actually happening, that it's actually coming to fruition in this moment. And I think part of that is because of what you said, where we're trying to protect the legal side. And so there isn't a lot of warning. There isn't. It's very abrupt. There's not usually a transition period. It is 
you're terminated as of today. We're going to go get your stuff and you can walk out the door. And it leaves people feeling like they never mattered, like they never really were that important to begin with. And I so just in reflecting on that and internalizing that, and my reference point is that a couple of years ago, or I guess it was about a year ago, my husband was terminated and he'd been a loyal employee for 17 years. And it came as a complete shock. And it was a phone call and really abrupt and similar in this is how we are going to, this is how we're going to be treated, right? This is how after all of that effort. And I think what ends up happening, and I'm curious of your thoughts on this, is that after all that, all of that giving, after all of that, that providing of work and commitment and focus, that there's this almost dismissal that you no longer matter, that you're no longer relevant. And we're just going to we're just going to walk you to the door and then you're done. We're going to move on. And there's nothing really that brings it to conclusion or provides a sense of closure because it is so abrupt. What do you think about that? Yes, absolutely. I, too, have had throughout my career as HR, as a leader, have had to deliver those messages to people. And I agree. I think when you talk with people post something like this, they almost always have this level of feeling surprised. The rug was pulled out from under beneath them. And it doesn't really matter what the reason is. It doesn't matter if it was company performance related, if it was their individual performance, you never quite see it coming. And so I I think that there's always going to be an element of that. And what I think is the most important piece here is how do we as leaders, as companies, as HR professionals, know that going in, that this person is going to be surprised. This person is going to feel like their world is completely shattered in a sense, regardless of how long they've been with the company. 17 years, it's a long time. And it's, in my case, I was there 10 years at the time. And whether you've been there 10 years or 10 days, it still is not a pleasant thing to go through. And so everything that happens after that moment is really critical and really can help rebound a person and make them feel as good as they can leaving that situation. I, in my own experience, I I am someone who, when something happens in life, I tend to go the route of, okay, what is this teaching me? What can I learn? How can I apply it? How can I make sure it doesn't happen again if it was something bad? But how do I really understand this. I need to understand it. And I just went through this phase where I did a ton of research. I started reflecting back on my own instances where I was delivering that message to someone. And I started to think about how I maybe aided in that worry and that in that loss and that experience for this person. And I started reaching out to some folks and asking if I could ask them a few questions as I was on this journey of really understanding how I, as a leader, impacted things. And my my husband thought I was a little crazy at the time because here I had been freshly boarded and was having my own feelings around that. I had a, a newborn, so I was sleep deprived and having that. feelings yeah. around that. And I was reaching out to people who didn't have great things to say to me about situations I was involved in with them where I had to deliver the same news. 
So it felt a, a, a little bit like really trying to bonk myself over the head with all of these things at one time. But it was so important for me to really understand this because I knew after that moment in time that I never wanted to put someone through that experience again. And I want to be clear in saying, by no means do I think that companies have to always employ people and never have to make tough decisions, right? Because we know that at times in a business, there there are, are instances where someone's performance is not meeting the needs of the company and a tough decision has to be made. Financials aren't there and a tough decision has to be made around layoffs, headcount. Totally get that. It's not in the decision. It's in everything that happens after. It's in all the instances, you know, after the fact. It's, you know, everything down to all the logistics even, you know, I think a lot of times we think we're doing ourselves, we're doing that person a favor by we'll let them go first thing in the morning before they start anything. And we'll put them in this room that's by the door and we'll just escort them out and we'll send them all their things. And we try to come up with all these ways that we're going to make it less uncomfortable for them. But by doing that, we're making, we're dehumanizing the process. People like to have some closure and say bye to maybe others that they worked with, worked closely with to to feel like their contributions mattered during the time that they were there. And I think this has been a key learning for me throughout this process too, is even someone who maybe you have an employee who has a ton of attendance issues, is never coming to work and you've given them so many opportunities and now you've got to have that tough conversation. I can promise you that even for that individual, they contributed something to your company. There was some moment in time where they impacted things. They made a difference. And when we focus on acknowledging that and celebrating that while also delivering a tough message, I think it's a much more caring and impactful conversation than making someone feel like they're disposable and that they didn't matter and have them questioning kind of their value and their worth outside of that experience. Again, in my own experience, I did a ton of research and learned some things that were, were eye-opening to me around how being offboarded, being let go from your job, from the company, really impacts people in such a strong way. Instances of divorce, death by suicide, being unhoused, depression, all of these really serious things increase significantly in someone who has lost a job. And I think that having leaders who understand, again, their impact in that process and how we can humanize the process, support the individual and have really honest and caring conversations. That's really the key. I think there's a couple of things I think are really interesting in what you said. And I, I like the, the, I want to hit on some of those consequences, but also how long it can take to recover from a termination. And it was one of the things when, when I left my prior organization and I was struggling through the transition and the, that experience. And I did some research and found that moving organizations, that leaving companies, that it can take, that it can be as stressful as going through a divorce, if not more stressful than going through a divorce. And that was really validating to me at the time because it was so difficult. It felt so painful. It felt like the, these people who were your closest companions, who you saw every single day, 
you talked to, they knew your life, they knew your kids, they knew what was going on, that were there all the time just disappeared. And you no longer mattered. You no longer, what was going on with you no longer mattered. What was happening in your life no longer mattered. It was just an immediate separation. And so when people go through it, I think one of the things I found really comforting was just recognizing that's the common experience, that it is a hard and emotional experience. And so if you are struggling through that experience, that's normal. That's a normal result. That's a normal experience to be having. The other thing I think that's interesting is as we talk about humanizing the process and we talk about all of the legal requirements and the reasons why we do it a certain way, for a long time, HR was solely compliance focused, was really about dotting the I's, crossing the T's, and like you said, protecting the company. And it wasn't so much about people and performance and how to create culture and how to have help people be at their best and perform at their best. Those are newer concepts in the scheme of HR and people and performance. And I think you're right in that, especially in the hiring and the firing of people, that a lot of the compliance, legal-driven steps are still dominant, that that the legal suggestions and being a lawyer, having my background be in law, the legal protections, the things that as an, att- an attorney is going to advise you to protect the company to the greatest extent are quite often completely contradictory to what would be the best and most humane thing to do, our way to, to treat and handle people. And so you've almost got to have some courage to step beyond that compliance mentality, beyond the legal risks to say, I'm going to do it differently. I'm going to take maybe a little bit more risk in order to be better to people, to, to the humans that have provided their work, their time, their effort. Like you said, no matter what the challenges, they've given a piece of themselves to the organization and their work and efforts to the organization and to, to the people in the organization. And so how do we humanize it? How do we put in place different practices that can really make a difference and sh- reshape the way that we look at offboarding of employees? Or, and I, I don't even like to use the word employees anymore offboarding of people, of the people that work in our company. Yeah. And I get it. We want to stay in some level of compliance, right? By no means do I think that we have to throw all of that out the window. I'm sure our employment lawyer would be like, Lisa, what are you talking about? You can't do that. But I do think that there are a lot of opportunities in the little moments. And that's the piece that I really focus with leaders on is Think about all these little experiences, these little moments in time in this whole process. A lot of times we get really focused on the process as a whole, and here's the end goal of that, and here's all the things we got to do to get there. And it's all these little moments that make someone feel either valued or makes them feel really bad at the end of it. So I think that there's an opportunity to stay in compliance while also treating them like a person. Um, And I love that you said people, not employees, because yes, we're all people. And I think that something that I've started to, you know, really look at and really do myself now is 
when we're having these conversations about we need this, this is a instance where we need to offboard, let's invite that person into the conversation and ask them how they want to see some closure. I think simply asking someone during that conversation, one, value, valuing the work that they did and demonstrating some genuine, authentic appreciation for that is key. And also asking them, we want to, you to have some closure. What would feel like closure in this situation for you? And letting them really be part of it as opposed to being told and dictated how things are going to go. So simply by asking that question, you're going to learn a lot because sometimes someone may say, closure to me is I really want to say bye to this one person. Closure to me would be, I want to finish that project or I would really like to hand this over to this person, transition this work over to this person and give them my notes. Sometimes you can work with that. Sometimes there's some compromise that can happen in that closure conversation. Sometimes it may be so off the wall that you have to think really hard about, oh, that can't happen because of other things, but what can we do here? So I think simply by asking, and so a lot of times they may just say nothing, but thanks for asking. It's the simple idea of inviting them to be a part of that closure conversation and what does closure look like for them? Because each of us, for each of us, it's different. And we are each unique individuals who have unique backgrounds in history and who view closure or view transitions differently. As a millennial, I there's a, it's very stereotypical of us that we tend to wrap our identity in our careers or in our positions or in who we are. And I was definitely, definitely that person 10 years ago going through this. And so for me, I think having that, having had that conversation would have made everything so much different. It really would have felt like I was valued and like the time, the effort, the work and the energy that I put in and the programs that I created were really something of importance and significance. So I I think really having that closure conversation, having that person be part of that would really be a, a huge step in the right direction. Yeah. And I think what you're really talking about there is there's the gratitude, but it's the but the underlying sentiment is that empathy and compassion for what the person is going to experience or what they are currently experiencing and trying to acknowledge the uh, positive side as well as the negative side, trying to acknowledge that although it's not going to work anymore, and albeit I think there's when, you, when it comes to terminations, there's different kinds. And certainly when whenever you're doing a downsizing or a layoff, you actually have, in my experience, the ability to do things a little bit kinder, to, to be a little bit more generous. And so typically when you're going through a layoff, you can maybe have more of a transition period. You can incorporate into that, into that layoff, more discussion and timing and what is going to work best and there's opportunities of what what gets into those different types of severance agreements and how you work through that 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 opportunity. When it's performance related or if there's a, a violation of company policy, I think that's probably where we do it the worst, where when there's a there's an issue or there's a problem and we get into this mentality that we can point a finger. We can say, 
you screwed up. You didn't work hard enough. You didn't meet expectations. You made a mistake. Like, it's on you. I don't have to feel bad. I don't need to show compassion. I, they, it, it, it's your problem. And I think in that moment, we lose some of our humanness that, God, we've all made mistakes. The question is whether it was big enough to to lead to termination or whether it was serious enough to lead to a termination or whether anyone found out about the mistake we made or we could fix it. We all make those types of mistakes. And most people are not trying to fail. Most people are not intentionally failing to perform in the ways that you want them to perform. They're doing the best that they can, even if it's not measuring up. And so I think those might be the most difficult. And it really requires a skill set of compassion and empathy to be able to deliver that message in a way that can be received and cause less harm. And I'm not sure a lot of leaders, I'm not sure how many leaders and HR leaders have that. Harvard studies show that 95% of people think they have really high self-awareness, but only 15% do. If that's the case, then there may not be that empathy and compassion being demonstrated in those conversations. You hit the nail on the head. I think it absolutely, it's in those instances where we get a little bit on a pedestal and we feel a little bit above the person or the situation because of whatever outrageous thing has happened. In those instances, I really feel like we have such an opportunity, even more so, to show care for a person. I really go into those now and I tend to think less about what has happened um, because of what has happened. And this is the result or this is perhaps the consequence of what has happened. But this is a person. It could be, it's somebody's brother. It's somebody's Mm-hmm. sister, mother, aunt, grandmother, this person has to leave this room and go tell somebody what has happened. And thinking about it, really trying to make that human connection, because you're right, we have all made mistakes. We have all had our fair share of either professional, personal, all of the above. Each person, each one of us has done something that we shouldn't have done in our life. and. I really think it's with that gratitude, with that grace, with that empathy for a human being that we can really help someone come out of it on the other end and really have an impact on how they move forward. And so that's really, I think, needs to be the focus of any offboarding conversation, but especially one where we feel really just in maybe doing it because of the reason for doing it. How can we help this person heal and move on? Being going through that type of situation, whether you had a hand in it or not, is a traumatic experience. And there there's been some research to show that when people surveyed uh, were asked that question, how traumatic of an experience was this for you? They they list it up there uh, the same as losing a loved one. And it's grief. It's the loss of something meaningful. And the sudden loss of something meaningful. Uh, and so I think having empathy as a leader and having that be the, the center of our education, our training, our certification programs and business school, really inserting this element of how do we lead with empathy? What does that really look like? Because I think 
empathy has been such a, a buzzword in the Brene Brown world of things and coming out of the pandemic, right? Like you hear empathy being thrown around all the time. And I don't think, I don't think enough people really understand as a leader how they can authentically exhibit empathy. I think the authentic piece is sometimes what is lacking or missing. So I do think there's big opportunity for robust training internally and continued training on that because the other statistic that I've been aware of is percent of adults throughout their career will be let go. 40%. So that's that's a large number. And as leaders, as people leaders, we're contributing to that, to that number. And we're contributing to the other statistics of how those folks then go up and show up in their families and in their communities and so on. So I think there is a, a real need for internal uh, communication around how we show up in, in these situations, but also more importantly, what that ongoing training looks like so we can continue to have genuine empathy. So one of the reasons that I like that, that you hit on the empathy conversation and one of the reasons I use the word compassion is because as I've learned and studied in this space, Compassion is the action taking of empathy. And oh. so it is empathy in action. It is when I take my understanding. So if empathy is I can bring myself to, to be in your shoes, to look at things from your perspective and to sit with you in your struggle, in what you're experiencing and understand and have empathy for that experience. Compassion is walking with that person to, to put it into action, to really move it forward. And so in order to have compassion, you have to do it. It's do. It's almost a word we'd want to denominalize. I talk about denominalizing words and that sometimes we turn words into nouns that are really something we do. So you are compassioning. It's something you're doing. It's not a state of being. It's not that I am compassion. It is a doing thing that I'm doing. And so when we think about leaders, I agree with you, core part of leadership training. And, and I think it extends beyond compassion. One of the, the leadership development trainings that we do is it's a leadership decision-making course. And we talk about that wise leadership decision-making requires creativity, compassion, and courage. That those are when we're operating at our highest expression or when we're operating in the highest and best state that we can be operating in, when we make decisions that start and end with compassion, but have creativity and courage within them, that's when we make those best decisions. And I think that comes into play in those conversations, in those offboarding and those terminations, and as we're deciding how to handle them and what to do with them. And so if we can stop ourselves and say, okay, this is how we've always done it. But if I'm going to be the most creative, compassionate, and courageous person that I can be today, what are my options? What are the yeah. things that I could do? What might I do differently if I'm embodying that person, if I'm being that type of leader? One of the other things that you, you said that I want to ask a question about or I want to get your perspective on that made me think about different people at different points in their career. So a lot of leaders... They're probably high performers. They've moved into roles. They may not have experienced being downsized or terminated that way. If they're strong performers, they may not have experienced a, a performance termination. And so they may lack the, the empathy because they don't have that perspective, right? They haven't experienced it before. 
And, and really when it comes to terminations, the way that we handle people at different levels of the organization, when they make a mistake, when they do something wrong, when there's a performance issue can be really different. Leaders get a lot more latitude for making a mistake or for, for their decisions or their choices or what they do than do a lot of other people in the organization. We have a much shorter tolerance for people who are not at those higher levels within an organization. I'm curious if that's been your experience or if you've seen that as well and how we mitigate against some of those challenges and those biases and how we treat leaders or senior leaders versus the the bulk of the population. Oh, yes. You hit on so many great points. One, the compassion piece. Amen. Yes. I love that. I love the idea of courage and creativity and compassion really being the approach. And I, I think that's a really strong question to ask before any single offboarding conversation. It's really how can I be creative in this approach? How can I be compassionate? And what courage do I need here? So I, I, I love that. And I think that your point around for some leaders who don't have that experience to pull from and who maybe struggle and how they demonstrate compassion then, because they've never been in those shoes necessarily. That's where I think others in the organization or even what compels me to even talk to you today, which is to tell a story. I think that telling stories, personal stories, help others who maybe haven't had those experiences sit back and think differently. And, and that's really my hope anytime I share something uh, like this with someone. How can they think differently about the role that they play in this process? Maybe they've never experienced it themselves. There's many things in life that we've never experienced. But when you hear someone's personal account of it, you start to think maybe differently about how you show up in a future situation or instance. So I, I think there's an opportunity to, again, maybe part of training or part of internal leadership learning is to have stories for HR to really help lead that initiative of helping to bring those perspectives in to reduce bias and to mitigate this instances where people aren't really treating people like people. So I, I think there's a huge opportunity to be storytellers, to bring in more storytelling is a big component to that. I, I do think your point around leaders getting more leeway, essentially, absolutely. And that's felt within the organization. People see that, they feel that, and it can be a, a challenging piece when you have a leader who is maybe having a tough conversation with their employee for things that they themselves have done. I, I had a situation not too, not too long ago where I had a, a leader who was having some pretty major attendance issues and someone on their team was having some pretty major attendance issues. And so for that leader to be delivering any type of tough conversation with someone, that person right away is thinking, hold on, this doesn't compute. How is this okay for you, but not okay for me? So I think that how we as leaders hold ourselves accountable, how we as leaders hold each other accountable, and how we really look for opportunities to ask questions is really key and pivotal. I think that there are many times within a company where 
we, something happens and, you know, as HR, we're, I always tell folks, all, all you can do is think about, you can't worry about someone else because someone else is, you don't know the conversations or what's happening in their world um, based off of something that's happened. So all you can think about and really move the needle on is ways that you yourself can impact things and grow and learn. But how do we help everyone in the organization have those same moments of learning? And so that's where I think as HR, we have to really lead the charge. We have to be creative and courageous, courageous and compassionate about making sure that everyone in the company, from the CEO down to our frontline employees, our frontline people, have similar experiences, similar conversations for for similar instances. So if the CEO isn't coming to work, who's sitting down and maybe sharing that feedback with them? Because I think how you hold one accountable is how you can hold another accountable. And the compassion you show for one should be the compassion you show for another. So I, I do think that we as companies have a lot of work to do there to help all feel like it is more equitable in how we address mistakes and learnings and forward. I, I love what you said about asking more questions, because I think I, I was talking to somebody earlier this week who was who gave me an example of sitting down with a, a nurse and in a retirement com- community and asking because they discovered she'd stolen some of the pills of one of the one of the people she was taking care of. Why, why did you do this? What what's going on? And as she asks the questions, she discovers her husband, they, they can't afford insurance. Her husband broke his back, whatever the circumstances were, and that motivated her to take some of the pills and she knew it was wrong. And I think what ends up happening, and I use that example just as an ethical example or around that there's a lot of gray. I always joke, and most people don't know this because there's a lot of jokes about lawyers being unethical. But in order to become a lawyer, in order to pass the bar exam, you have to sit for a completely separate ethics exam, a a half day hard test. You can pass it, but it's a hard test. And the reason ethics is hard, the reason it's difficult is because it's not black and white, because there is a whole lot of instances where you have competing challenges where what you believe is the right thing to do from a personal integrity standpoint may be in conflict with company policy. And so you have to make a decision. Do you do what's right to your own personal integrity or do you do what's right and stay in compliance with company policy? And if when we're going through these types of terminations, we don't ask those questions, we don't seek first to really understand and we get into that judgmental, I'm on a pedestal, you messed up, type of mode, then we're not really doing people justice. We're not really giving them the benefit of the doubt. And we may be missing really critical pieces of information that are important, not just to the situation, but to the company in general, to to why is someone's integrity in conflict with the company policy? What is going on that maybe we're not aware of? What else might be happening in my organization? And so we miss out on those opportunities when we don't engage in those questions. We don't seek to really understand what's going on with people. And when we start to think this is just black and white, this is a terminable offense, so I'm going to terminate versus really understanding the implications. And when I was talking to this person earlier this week, 
she talked about she could have fired that nurse and that would and reported her to the state and that would have been the end of her career and she never would have been able to serve people again. Or instead, she could see and have compassion for the situation and come up with a creative solution, a creative way to move forward, to work through that challenge. And I think, again, it comes back to that. How do we have that creativity, courage and compassion to engage in those conversations, to do the tough work that is our responsibility as leaders, rather than just saying, "Okay, you're terminated. I'm going to I'll just hire someone else. Then I don't have to worry about it. Then I don't have to deal with it. Absolutely. I think I am a firm believer that people want to be seen, heard and valued. And a lot of times when we give someone a platform to do that, to share, not only do we learn a ton, but that person feels seen, heard and valued. I think there's nothing more cold than being brought into a room and said, you did this. So now you are terminated. You don't get to say anything. You've already gathered your things. We're going to escort you out of the building because yes, what you did doesn't change. But to your point, there's by asking questions, we can learn and identify things that, you know, we just didn't know. And I think it's through that storytelling again, that we then can have some compassion and some understanding and maybe can think of some creative solutions to that situation. Maybe the solution still is we have to terminate you for violating company policy, but perhaps we're going to offer you this type of outplacement program, or we're going to offer you this as a resource, as a tool, uh, because we get that this was a really challenging thing and you had to make a choice and we, we still want to support you because we care about you as a person. You're not dead to us because you're not in our four walls anymore. We still care about you as a person. And so that's the piece that I, I feel like as organizations, we really miss a huge opportunity to really build this alumni program, so to speak, this really strong idea of how do we really care for people even after they're not part of our company anymore. I even think about folks who voluntarily leave, people who give their notice. Many times in a company, someone gives their notice and it's almost like for the last two weeks of their employment, they don't exist anymore. Everyone's like, you, I don't want to talk to you anymore. Like, how dare you choose to go do something different? We, We just completely disregard anything that they've accomplished, anything that they've done. And we become so hurt and our egos get so darn bruised, especially for a leader. And it's someone on our team. Our ego gets so just messed up. Again, we're only thinking about ourselves in this situation. And we miss a really key critical moment to celebrate this person and send them out in a strong way. Because one, boomerang employees are a real thing. You never know when someone may come back. And two, as companies, we want people out in the world talking about our company in a positive way. And when somebody leaves, I, I a friend of mine left a position after being there for 16 years. And was very much a critical piece to this organization. She was very involved, very much a part of the culture. And she gave her notice. And it was almost like she did not exist for the last two weeks. No one wanted to acknowledge that she was leaving. She left. And that was the end of it. So I think there's opportunities to, to think about every offboarding situation. And how do we insert care? The role I had prior to the role I'm in now when I left that company, 
it was amazing. It was probably the, the most, again, it was another one of those experiences that really shaped how I thought about this because it was one of those instances where I felt so celebrated and so cared for, even though I was leaving the company. There was a, a celebration of my time there where other leaders got up and spoke about the impact I had on them. And I continue to this day, that was two years ago, I get to continue to this day to have those folks reach out to me, to meet up for coffee, to check in and hear how things are going. And I was presented with gifts and awards and all of these really great, meaningful things that uh, make me have just such a, a love for, a continued love for the people that I worked with and that mission and what that company does. So I, I think there's a real opportunity as leaders to think about every offboarding situation and how do we insert compassion and care for people regardless of if we're asking them to leave or if they're choosing to leave. Well, and I, I think what I think what we also have to remember is that the effects are not just on that person. That how we treat someone who is leaving, how we engage in those conversations, everyone else is watching and everyone else is paying attention to those processes, to how people are treated. And I remember the difference when we would do, when we were, when we had to go through downsizing and when we went through a really meticulous process of giving people an, a first a chance to say they wanted to retire early, giving people a chance to volunteer that they were ready to move on before moving to, we've got to make these decisions. And that, and then when we provided the people that left with, really clear packages and support and transition so that they'd have insurance so that they would have time to get to another job. The effect that has on everybody who is still there, that everybody who's still there doesn't feel like, oh, now I just have to do more work and look how they treated them. Do they even care about me? Now I'm going to pick up all that work and when's, when are they going to do that to me? And so it starts that kind of toxic, negative cultural mindset and it has a ripple effect. It affects how much people are willing to work, how much people are willing to put in. And I would say, and I always like to incorporate the neuroscience side, that a lot of that is not even conscious. It's at a subconscious level that there is no time greater than when there's terminations that people's safety response is triggered. And when we talk about it from a neuroscience perspective, our gut brains that have neural networks in them are responsible for safety. We've all probably had that bad gut instinct. It's real. You have neurons. It's telling you something's wrong. And, and so when people are in that situation, the people that are being terminated and the people who are left behind, that safety mechanism is triggered for everybody. Everybody's impacted. And the only way you're going to bring it back down and make people feel safe is to feel like that they matter, to feel like that people still matter in general, all people, including the people that are being terminated and how they're treated and how it's handled and how they go through that process is all going to affect how people work. Because at that, on that subconscious level, if people's fight or flight is triggered, if their nervous systems are triggered, even if they're not conscious of it, it's impacting their stress level and their performance. And a lot of that is not things we see on the surface. When we are, we can be extremely stressed, our bodies can be extremely stressed 
and we can look calm like we have it all together, which is one of the things I experienced before my burn, before I realized I was in burnout. I thought I was calm. I thought I had it all together. Meanwhile, under the surface, my body had absorbed all this stress, the stress we all absorbed through the pandemic and the challenges and everything we've been through. And so I think in a lot of cases, we have to remember and leaders have to remember that the impact of that choice is not just the lawsuit, whether you get sued or you don't get sued. There is a cost to performance every time you go through a termination to those that are still there and to those that have moved on. And you get the opportunity to either be the person who comes into that situation and makes it the best it can be or allows it to be the worst and create all those ripple effects. Amen. Amen. I think I I loved what you connected on with the people who are left behind because absolutely, we as leaders, we have a tremendous opportunity to not only show that person who's going through something to show them care, but by showing them care, it, it signals to everyone who's watching because they're all watching. I don't care how secretive you think you're being about the details and the particulars. Everybody knows and everybody hears different versions of it. And then new versions get made up because we go into fight or flight and our cortisol levels get all jacked up and we become these stressed out beings of worry. And so different stories fly around and not only does it impact your performance, it impacts how people feel they can be courageous in the organization. Again, it's these little moments, right? So if in, in my instance where I was with the company for 10 years and, and went through my own offboarding, that was a very common thing in the company that people were offboarded all the time. And how it happened was a very non-human way. And so the, the organization then lived in a state of fear around when is it going to be me? Because it doesn't matter. Nothing, nothing matters. Like we're all on the chopping block at some point. And so what that, how that showed up in the organization every day was, I'm not going to raise my hand in that meeting to ask the question because I, I need to see com- seem competent all the time. I need to seem like I, I, I know the answers all the time. Or I'm not going to volunteer to help with this position while this person's out because I can't take on any more work. What if I do it wrong and I get let go? So it really shows up in a negative way versus the organization that is sending people off with gratitude and appreciation for their work. Others feel like, okay, they took care of that person. They'll take care of me too. So I do think the people who are left behind, they matter. And there is so much watching that they are doing in these moments of of hard that we're having with people. And again, how us as leaders, we have such an impact, not only on someone's happiness, but on someone's health. So I, I think there's such an opportunity. I don't mean to to over-dramatize how leaders impact people. But I think when someone decides to become a leader, I don't think they quite understand how they every day are going to impact a person and multiple people because we're all people who come home and talk to other people, whether it be our family or friends. We sit around the the dining room table and talk about our days and the people who either positively impacted our day or who really caused us some stress and worry or concern in our day. So I I think that as leaders, especially those new leaders, we have such an opportunity to help them understand the significance of the role they play in their team's lives. 
I I love everything you said there. And I'm going to give you a sec, a chance in a minute to give us some final thoughts as we wrap this up. But I'm going to go even further than what you said in that leaders not only have the opportunity to create phenomenal results through people, they not only have an opportunity to support their people, to perform at their best, but people only live one life and work is part of that life. And so the truth is that you're impacting people's lives every single day. And if you have a good leader, a leader who is compassionate and creative and courageous, who is engaged in helping to optimize your performance, who understands how their actions and the actions of the workplace and the team are impacting the people within it every single day, it can not only change lives, it can change the world. It can change the experiences that people are having throughout their life, and that has a ripple effect. And so it is so important in all instances, but especially in instances where people are going through such trauma like they do when they're being terminated from a position, to show up with that compassion and to show up ready to do the hard work of being a leader and to understand that's the role you're signing up for. That is what is needed. And it carries a heavy burden and a huge opportunity to make a difference. And you get to choose how you approach it. So Lisa, give us any final thoughts for our audience, for our listeners. It's been so great having you here today. I think we've covered some amazing ground. Any final thoughts? I, I would just say whether you are a people leader or uh, a person in an organization, look around you, look at all of the other people that uh, you are really fortunate to get to spend your days with, even the ones you, you wish you didn't have to spend your days with, maybe. And just remember that we are all people who want to be seen, heard, and valued, and little moments make a huge difference in someone's day, in someone's week, in someone's life. And we can all be those courageous change makers and really shape the way that businesses run, communities run, and the world runs. You said it perfectly, Lisa. You've been a phenomenal guest. Thank you so much for coming Thank on you. today. This has been great. To all of our listeners, I want to remind you, just like I do every week, to always keep evolving, keep growing, keep expanding, keep rewiring those neuropathways so you can experience more exceptional experiences on your performance journey throughout your life. And if you are a leader, lean into and step into the opportunity that you have to truly make a difference in this world, in other people's lives and the experience that they're having by continuing to evolve and grow your, growing your skill set as a leader. There is so much more we have to learn all of us, no matter who you are. So just always keep evolving. Have a wonderful rest of your day and we will be back again next week with another episode. 